Well, good morning. It's good to see you on this rainy day. Glad we're inside. I'm enjoying this time of worship together. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. should be a familiar passage to many of you. Matthew 28, our text will be verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Um, before we get started, I want to make you aware, if you saw them, you probably saw them on the way in, but we have a table of these little books called Discipling, How to Help Others Follow Jesus. There's a table with stacks of these books available. We want you to take one. Um, so first come, first serve. There should be probably enough for most of you, if not all of you, but uh, please take one of these. Uh, we're going to be using these in the coming weeks, especially in one particular week and a couple of weeks in our home groups. But beyond that, uh, we just feel like this is a great, useful resource uh, to encourage you in your discipling relationships. And so, uh, if you will, on your way out today, you can grab a book, uh, just read it. It's easy read, but very, very practical, uh, it, specifically in what we're talking about this morning. And so, uh, these are for you to take. I uh, hope to see that table empty so that we don't have to stack them up and take them away uh, today. So, we encourage you to, to take those books. Um, also, just a reminder for those of you who may have come in late, there is going to be a brief meeting right after church today uh, concerning our short-term mission trip opportunities this year. If you're the slightest interest, interested in one of those opportunities, we would ask you to stay for that 15-minute meeting, and uh, that would be great. Matthew chapter 28 is our text this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 20. Let me read these verses, and then we'll pray. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, these verses are very familiar to us, for, to, to many of us. Father, my prayer is that their familiarity would not grow, uh, grow us uh, or keep us negligent of what they say. Father, it's our desire to be obedient to the instructions you've given us. And Father, my prayer this morning is that we would see these instructions and these very words, not just as a familiar background of encouragement to the nations or to, to missions in particular, but Lord, that we would hear these words freshly this morning as instructions to our own lives and to the calling that you've given every one of us as your people to each other. So, Father, would you help us to see and to hear and to respond in ways that you call us to today from your word. We thank you, Father. We have your word to, to hear, to be instructed by, and to grow from. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, church activity can often be a hindrance to biblical community. Being busy in the church doesn't mean that you're growing in community together with other Christians. In fact, it can be a hindrance to it. Let me read a paragraph from a book called Compelling Community that I think helps speak to this a bit. 
In our churches, opportunities for wasted effort abound. Think of fellowship that is nothing more than a poisonous exchange of gossip. Think of people attending sermons and not listening. Think of endless rehearsals by a tone-deaf choir that on further reckoning merely distracts the congregation from worship. Think of cookbook sales or charity auctions or 10K races that consume enormous time for relatively small spiritual gain. All these things, fellowships, sermons, events, choirs, fundraisers, they can bear real spiritual fruit, but sometimes they don't. We can be active participants in the church and in fact be some of the least spiritual people in the church. So the question is, how can we make sure that we're actually growing, that we're actually fulfilling the desires and commands that God has given us as his people? How can we be a people that see true, lasting fruits We've been talking about that over the course of the past few weeks when we're thinking about what it means to be a healthy biblical community of Christ followers. Today we're specifically going to consider what it means to invest in intentional spiritual relationships with other Christians. One of the ways that we will see a church grow in its responsibility and its calling to be holy and to be righteous and to be growing and to be a healthy community is that we will be deliberate in relationships with one another. Spiritual fruit will take place as we seek to deliberately invest in discipling relationships that intentionally push people toward Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Discipling relationships that intentionally push people towards Jesus. You may think, well, is that my responsibility? Isn't that what we pay you for, Pastor? I think when we hear the instructions from the Great Commission this morning, Jesus assumes that it's the responsibility of all of us. In fact, I'm going to make a case today that it, in fact, is your responsibility, our responsibility to invest deliberately, to be intentional about pushing others towards Jesus and growth in him. In fact, if a church is not doing that regularly, if the members of a local church are not doing that regularly and consistently, then I would say they're an unhealthy community. And so what we're trying to, to see happen, even, even as we consider this passage this morning, is we want to see a culture take place here. We want to see a culture of disciple-making that, that continues on here at Redeeming Grace. So as we consider these things this morning, we're looking at the Great Commission. Now you may think, well, the Great Commission, isn't that the passage we pull out to talk about missions? Well, yes, we do, because it has a very clear reference to going into all the nations, right? And so we often refer to this passage when we're talking about missions. And we're, we believe very much in missions here, right? Meeting after church, 
three opportunities for us to go to the nations this year. But I want you to consider these instructions not just being um, a reference point to going out there somewhere as much as it is your responsibility to fulfill what God has called you to do in here and among these people that God has put into your life. The Great Commission is the marching orders for the church, and so it's important to understand exactly what it's telling us. Now, we've looked at this passage before, and many times we've pointed out that the Great Commission does have a command in it. And that main command or that main imperative is right there in verse 19. And it is not the first word. The imperative that we find in verse 19 is to make disciples. That is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. If you want to know your purpose in life as a Christian, Matthew 28, verse 19, make disciples, underline that, and that is your instruction as a Christian. There are many other instructions, obviously. One of the purposes that God has given you in life is to be a disciple maker. Disciple maker. Now we know that 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 imperative is, is surrounded by several other words, participles, for you folks that like grammar. So you see it there, right? The imperative, make disciples. That's the command, make disciples. Well, then you should ask, how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us. We do it by going, we do it by baptizing, we do it by teaching. And those are the three points that we're going to hang our our hats on this morning. Jesus gives us a great sermon outline here. That's what I want us to see and I want us to consider today in light of the instructions that you and I have as individuals in the context of a local church. How do we live out the Great Commission? You hear oftentimes about churches being Great Commission churches. Well, I don't know that you could be a church if you weren't committed to the Great Commission. I don't know that you can be a non-Great Commission church. It's not a church. If they're not part of the Great Commission. But my, my thing is that I want to press home today to you and, and even to myself as I think about these things. Is that the Great Commission is not just for the church, it's for you who are part of the church. It's, it's, a, it's an individual and yet corporate responsibility that we all have. From his book Trellis and the Vine, Tony Payne wrote the following about the Great Commission. He said the commission is not fundamentally about mission out there somewhere else in another country. Though it is part of that. It's a commission, he says, that makes disciple-making the normal agenda and priority of every church and Christian disciple. The Great Commission is a commission that makes disciple-making the normal agenda and priority of every church and every Christian disciple. That's what we want to press home today from these words in Matthew 28. We think about discipleship. It might be helpful to have a few definitions in mind. We think about discipleship. We use that word often. It's a church word. We use it all the time. Discipleship is just simply the process of following Jesus. But discipling or making disciples is the responsibility that you and I have to help others follow Jesus. That second definition is really what we're after today. We're called to be disciples, growing and following 
Jesus, growing in Jesus, following Jesus, and we're called to disciple. We're called to make disciples. A healthy church community will be a culture where each disciple strives to make disciples as part of his or her normal agenda. This is not just an extra thing that you're supposed to be doing. This is normal life. This is normal agenda kinds of stuff that we're talking about today. So we're called to be a deliberate community where we covenant with other Christians to care for their spiritual welfare and invite others to do the same for us. So let's look at the text this morning. Let's consider three truths about discipling relationships that Jesus gives us here in the Great Commission. Number one, discipling is a lifestyle. Discipling is a lifestyle. It's the first word that we often reference when we think about the Great Commission. We say, go. We're, sort of, we're to go somewhere and do this. While it certainly carries an imperative-like notion, it's better rendered as a participle, having gone or as you go. The point I want us to see here is that the call to make disciples is not something we do on occasion, but should be woven into the very fabric of everyday life. As you go about, or having gone, it's a lifestyle. I think that we've often made discipleship too rigid and restrictive, thinking of discipleship in terms of small groups, or class instruction, or some kind of in-depth study. Although those things are very helpful to the process of discipleship. Small groups are helpful. Home groups are helpful. Equipped classes are helpful. That's why we do them. We think that they are good formal tools that we as a church can do to encourage you in your growth as a Christian. And we encourage you to be taking advantage of these opportunities. We think you'll be helped and encouraged by that. And you'll also be able to help and encourage other Christians by participating in those opportunities. But what I'm talking about this morning as we think about discipling or making disciples, I think goes beyond that. It it carries a far uh, heavier or or weightier responsibility that we have to each other than just simply attending a a small group. Deliberate discipling relationships is what we're after. In the book that we're giving away, Mark Dever says, So much of discipling is doing what you ordinarily do, but bringing people along with you and having meaningful conversations like Jesus did. We're not talking about rocket science here. We're not talking about something extra. Now that, okay, we're having this sermon on discipling, I'm going to just add this to my list of to-dos as a Christian. No, this is something that you're called to, to do just as you go about everyday life. One writer put it that making disciples involves the ministry of whenever, however, with whomever. The key, though, is being deliberate. Being deliberate about inviting other people into your life and maybe inviting yourself into other people's lives, if, that, if you do that gently, but having a purpose behind that so that you can have meaningful conversations that help build them up in the Lord. Or if you're pursuing a relationship, maybe someone that, that, that's stronger in the faith than you, that you can be built up in the Lord. And this can happen anywhere. This is, not, this is not yet another thing you do. It can happen at home. It can happen at work. It can happen with a neighbor as you're talking across the fence. It can happen across the dinner table at the coffee shop. It can happen in the small group or around it. 
It can happen anywhere. The thing that I, that, that I want us to consider, though, is that, that we should not view discipling as yet another thing that we've got to add to our schedule. It's simply taking advantage of the things you already do and putting intention and purpose in them. Think about that. I mean, we all have to eat. We all have to drive, and we drive all over this county because it takes forever to get anywhere here. We shop. We have to wait. We exercise, some of us. Well, why not do some of that with other Christians with the intention of encouraging them and being encouraged in the faith? Simply inviting people to come along with you to do things so that you can have intentional conversations. Again, this is not something where you need a sign-up sheet. What we're talking about here is is thinking about discipleship or or making disciples as as a chaotic web of personal relationships where you're seeking to deliberately speak truth into other people's lives and build them up and be built up. culture. I know I speak on behalf of the elders that this is something that we want to see more and more of here at Redeeming Grace. Friends, my prayer is that it would be a strange thing. My prayer is that it would be a strange thing for you to regularly attend this church and not be pursuing others or being pursued by others. It's a twofold responsibility. We're to pursue, which assumes that we're going to be pursued. But I'm I'm laying the responsibility on your shoulders and my shoulders today that you are to be a pursuing people. A little better than last week, maybe not better, that's a bad word. Maybe a little little lighter tone than provoke. Jeremy said we're to provoke each other. how, How can you provoke each other without pursuing them? This is the whole point of last week's message is how can, we, how can we do that if we're forsaking the assembling of ourselves together? Point being is that discipling is a lifestyle. It's what you normally do in everyday life as you speak to others and as you, as you involve others in your life. We'll have more to say about that in a few moments. Number two, discipling assumes a community. Discipling assumes a community. The next word that we would look at here, go therefore and make disciples. So as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This word baptizing. The second participle that we have in this passage, what what does it mean? What what are we after here? I want you to think about baptism from two angles. We typically think about baptism as from the person's perspective, right? As as the person is coming to be baptized as a public profession of their faith. And so from an individual person's perspective, it's an act of obedience where a new Christian goes public with their faith, publicly confessing Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as they're immersed in water, symbolizing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and their union with with him. A wonderful opportunity to celebrate the work of the gospel in someone's life. And notice, by the way, who baptism is for. Notice the text. We don't make this up as Baptists. It's right there in the text. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Who's them? Disciples. That's why we don't baptize babies. We baptize disciples. We baptize those who are Christian. 
somebody comes to Jesus, we baptize them because it's a public testimony of their faith because this is exactly what the Bible teaches. The point, though, is I don't want us to think about baptism this morning merely from the individual's perspective. I want us to think about it from the church's perspective. What are we as Christians, already baptized believers, to make of baptism? What, is, what, are, what are we assuming here? From the church's perspective, baptism is an ordinance given to the church to recognize those who have become a member of the body of Christ. When someone is baptized in the local church, it's a beautiful reminder that here is someone that each of us now have a responsibility to. So when you think, when you see a baptism, as a Christian in the church, you should be thinking, this is a new brother or sister that I now have an obligation to. I have a responsibility for this person. You ever think that when you see somebody's baptized? Or you just, hey, great, they came to Jesus. No, that, your responsibility now. For that reason, I think it's right to say that the context, or I should say the primary context for making disciples should be the local church. The primary context for making disciples should be the local church because what we see here is this, this pattern of seeing people who hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, that are brought into the church, baptized, brought into the church, recognized as a Christian, profess themselves to be Christian through baptism, and they're now brought into a community of believers. Now what do we do with them? We make disciples of them. We teach them. We'll get to that this third point in a minute. So therefore, we would say that the local church is the primary context for disciple-making to take place. And that's why church membership is so critical and important. People all the time say, well, I don't find church membership in the Bible. Well, you're right, you won't find those two words in the Bible. But what you see all over the pages of the Bible is this assumed responsibility that we have toward each other. Call it whatever you want. Covenant commitment. Church I mean, use whatever word you want to use, but there is a formal, recognized relationship that we have as Christians in a local congregation towards each other. That is undeniable. It's all over the pages of the Bible, the New Testament. Membership, think about church membership this way. It's simply covenanting together to care for each other's spiritual welfare and inviting other Christians to do the very same thing for you. That's what we mean when we, th when we talk about church membership. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's a, it's a covenant. It's a commitment you're making to this group of people to do them spiritual good. And, hopefully by God's grace, that they'll be doing the same for you. Now, I'm often asked, or not asked as much as I'm made aware of other members who are involved in a number of discipleship opp opportunities outside of the church. And occasionally I'm asked about that. What do you think about, I'm involved in this study or I'm involved with this group. What do you think, pastor? Is that okay? Absolutely. I think it's a great thing, a great opportunity for Christians to be involved in discipleship opportunities outside of the local church. So long as, you knew that was coming. So long as it's not at the expense of your responsibility to be discipled and to make disciples with this covenant community that God has given you. Many great organizations, parachurch groups, other fellowships that we see that take place in our community and all over the nation, world, campus ministries, great tools that God has raised up. And we support a number of them. 
But friends, one of the things that we have to be reminded of is that you and I have not made a covenant with those Christians. We've made a covenant with these Christians here. We have responsibility and obligation. You know, as parents, oftentimes our, our kids will have other kids over or our kids will be at somebody else's house. And there's a responsibility that I have toward other people's kids when they're in my home, and I certainly instruct them and, and make, maintain order, or try to at least. But my responsibility to the kids that come over and hang out with my kids is not the same as it is to my own children. That's kind of what we're talking about when it comes to discipleship in the local church or versus outside the local church. As there are great opportunities outside of this congregation that will benefit you spiritually. And I think that if you have time, it's not going to take you away from your covenant obligations and responsibilities to these folks here, that you should take advantage of them if, they're going to, if, if they will encourage you in your faith. But again, not to, the, not to the negligence of the folks here. Again, remember Pastor Jeremy's sermon from last week. The whole reason that we're instructed in Hebrews to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, to not forsake this gathering, the whole purpose is so, so that you can provoke or encourage, provoke in a good way, encourage each other to love and good deeds. Again, the local church is not primarily a place where you come to seek out goods and services. It's a community you commit yourself to in order to link arms with other Christians, to deliberately spur them on and to stir them up to love and good deeds. God, God has ordained the local church to be a community where we help each other follow Jesus. This is what we're to be about. We don't just come and attend and leave. We're called to be committed to this group of people. There's the community. There's community with a purpose here. The church is not just simply a place for you to come hang out and find people to, to watch football games with or to go to, to whatever it is you like to do together. You can do that with anyone, and I hope that you do some of that with the Christians in this church. Friends, we, we are a you can find community virtually anywhere. But this is an ordained community that God has put together with the purpose of mutual edification and encouragement. Discipling assumes community. Number three, discipling requires instruction. Great Commission says, as you go, make disciples, baptizing them, formally recognizing them as Christians and gathering them into the body. Teaching them. Teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded, Jesus says. Now, this is the part we most associate with discipleship. The teaching. And it's true. No matter how we go about discipling others, whatever the context looks like, one thing is certain, it should be word-driven, Bible-driven. It should have some kind of, of word-based conversation or instruction. Two things that we see here in this final point, the Great Commission, is that a disciple is taught and a disciple is to obey. Notice that I don't know that we can actually say the Great Commission will ever be accomplished before Jesus comes back. I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can ever say, we've fulfilled it. When is the, when, when is the last person going to be taught everything and taught how to obey everything that Christ has commanded? I think that 
that we'll still be doing this when Jesus comes again. I want you to see two ways that this happens, this, this instruction, as we invest in others' lives. Number one, it's just simply put this way, we share the word and we show the word. We share the word. No matter the context, again, we need to be in regular pattern of reminding each other of what the Lord says in his word. I want you to notice a couple of passages of scripture. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, it says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Take care, lest there be any that would fall away, but exhort one another every day. It goes back to point one, and in some ways doesn't, that it requires a lifestyle, that this requires some aspect of being engaged with other Christians to stir them up, to exhort them every day. Well beyond this, well beyond your home group well beyond your equipped class or other opportunities that you're participating in. This is an ongoing ministry that we have, an obligation that we have to each other. Colossians 3, verse 16, Paul says there, that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's the first part of that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What we're talking about here is this assumes that you are a growing disciple. And as you grow as a disciple, as the word of God dwells in you, that you're teaching and admonishing others. This is not instruction specifically to elders or pastors. or This is general instruction to the church. Even this morning as we sing these songs, we're instructing each other. It's one of the things. Occasionally, I like to just turn around. None of you know I'm doing it, but I'm instructing you as I'm singing. We're singing this, and we're just saying this is true, and you should receive it, and you should be doing that to others. So when we build a church, we're going to have all the seats facing each other. I'm just kidding. Half kidding. We share the word. Deliberate conversation, deliberate study around God's word with other Christians should be a regular part of our lives. Talk about the mechanics of that in just a moment. But we're to show the word. Not only we're to share the word, we're to show the word. You know, it's often the case that we're given instruction, but then unsure how to apply it. Has that ever been you? You you know what the Bible says. Okay, I get what Jesus is saying, but I really don't know what that looks like. And that could be for a variety of reasons. It could be that you're a new Christian. It could be that you're just not in a particular place in your life circumstances where this has been particularly relevant or hitting home, but now it is, and you're just not exactly sure how to execute it. Well, friends, one of the best teachers God has given us is one another. One of the best teachers you and I have in the body of Christ is each other. In fact, you find it referenced in Scripture quite often. You have this this idea of imitation and modeling referenced in the Bible. 
In fact, you see it kind of in different ways. We're called to imitate Jesus. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So there's this calling that we have to be, that Jesus is, it serves as an example in many ways for us, that we might follow in his steps. So there's this modeling and imitation of Jesus. But we're also called to even imitate our leaders. Remember your leaders, Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders that those who spoke the word of God to you consider the outcome of their way of life. That's humbling, that's scary, but that's what the text says. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. But it's just not the leaders. We're called to imitate each other. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says to the church, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Friends, discipling others requires us to model what godliness looks like. You can sit down with someone and do a Bible study with them, read a book together and discuss it, which I think are great things that you should be doing. But if you're not showing them what righteousness looks like, if you're not showing them what repentance looks like, then you're not truly helping them. Model for them what godliness is all about. One of the best gifts God has ever given me was godly friendships who showed me what what it means to follow Jesus. It wasn't meaning that we were meeting for an intensive three-hour Bible study each week. Just being around them was a true blessing. Just seeing how they interacted with other people, seeing how they interacted as a husband and wife, seeing how they interacted as parents, seeing how they interacted as, as, as a co-worker. One of the best gifts of God has been other people in my life showing me what righteousness and holiness looks like. How to evangelize. What do you do when you've sinned and and need to confess that? And what does repentance look like? Richard Sibbs, an old old English Puritan once wrote, we must one day give an account to God not only for what sermons we have heard, but for the examples of those amongst whom we have lived. Scripture is saturated with such exhortations to be a godly example. Paul to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Titus chapter 2, the older men to the younger men, the older women to the younger women, show yourselves, show yourself to in all respects, to be a model of good works. Philippians 3, verse 17. Paul to the church at Philippi, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's one of the ways that we help others follow Jesus is by speaking the truth into their lives and showing them what that looks like. Showing them what that looks like. I want us to consider several points of application this morning. We've seen here from the passage that we're to make disciples. We do it as a lifestyle. We do it in community. We do it through instruction. Both the formal aspect of communicating God's word and the ongoing aspect of showing what God's word looks like applied just as we live life together. I want us to consider several points of application. First one is this. 
Be deliberate in your pursuit. I've said that throughout this whole sermon, but you will not, you and I will not get this right until this idea of being deliberate, being intentional. You won't do this if you don't plan for it. Be deliberate in your pursuit. Well, where do I begin? Begin at home. Begin at home. If you're married, begin between you and your spouse. If you have children, parents, you have an immediate obligation and responsibility to be the primary disciple maker of your children. Don't buy this, this, um, this idea that you bring your kids to church to be discipled. While the church will help you, it's your responsibility. We're here to help. And we will help. But it's largely on your shoulders to disciple your kids. Say, well, I don't have kids or a spouse. Fantastic, you've got all kinds of time. So, begin. Maybe you have siblings. Maybe, maybe in some cases, some cases it, it's, it's kids discipling their parents. Network of friendships. Begin at home. Ask, okay, what, who's God put right in my, you know, this is not something, don't, don't leave your thinking, I've got to find somebody brand new. No, start with who's around you. Open your eyes and look prayerfully. They're right there. Are you being deliberate in your relationship with them? Beyond home, your church. That was point two. Assumes a community. Who in this body of believers has God called you to pursue? That's why you're here, partly. Who, who's God called you to pursue? We can ask, well, I wonder who God's called to pursue me. Well, well I think I get it all by just asking, who's God called you to pursue? Who's in your home group that you could encourage more deliberately? Who's in the ministry that you serve with that you could be a little bit more intentional with? Who do you sit by regularly that you have just kind of light conversation with that maybe you could be a little bit more deliberate towards? Then you could go beyond that to our community, other Christians at work and your family, friendships. Friends, if you're a Christian... You need to be regularly pursuing other Christians to, pers- to push them towards Jesus. To encourage them, to stir them up, to provoke them in good and godly ways. You say, why are we making such a big... Because I, I'm, I'm convinced, just by patterns in my own life, that this largely is not taking place. We're good conversationalists. But how good are we at being deliberate in those conversations? How, how, I just think that that's something we all can grow, and I can grow in that. Who am I stirring up? Who am I pursuing? That ought to be questions that just are, are in my mind right now, and being deliberate in the pursuit of others. Number two, be diverse in your approach. We had a great question in our home group this past week, right at the end. So we were talking about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in order that we may stir each other up to provoke each other to love and good deeds. And someone asked the question, well, what does this look like? 
how many times a week should I be meeting with other Christians? That was the question. Good question. Answer? I don't know. Depends. It's going to look different for everyone. Your life circumstances are going to help shape a lot of this. It could be as formal as agreeing to meet with another Christian weekly or every other week for three to six months to read a portion of the Bible together, to read a good book together. Maybe start with this book. Hey, there you go. Find someone and say, hey, let's, let's read this together and let's talk about it. There you go, step number one. It could be that formal or even so formal. I know some churches, that they almost make this a program. They're almost, okay, go meet with someone for six months to a year, and then when you're done, agree to go do that with someone else, and then multiply, and go do that with someone else. And you can formalize it to that extent, and that's great. If you want to do that, do it. Regularly meeting with someone to talk about the Bible, to be accountable to each other, to pray for each other, to encourage each other. And that could be an older Christian to a younger Christian, a a more mature Christian to a less mature Christian. That could be mutual encouragement. And we all need something like that, I would think. Or it could be very informal, very erratic. As you go, just being deliberate in what you say to other Christians. Being deliberate in how you live before others. The point is that we need to look around us and see who God has put in our lives already and who's close in proximity to us that we can be involved with more often. It could be a family simply inviting a single over to, to dinner or to tag along with you and your family to kids' activities to just encourage them. It could be simply inviting another believer. Maybe your uh, husband or wife. You just apply this to who, whichever one. Maybe you've got you just run ragged because your kid's got so much going on, probably too much going on. And so maybe as the husband, you say, okay, uh, I'm going to invite so-and-so. They're in my, I serve on the whatever ministry team with, and they live close to us. I'm just going to ask them to go with me while I, I, I think about the hours of time wasted that I have delight taking my children to practices, but I have stood around a baseball knob and doing this. Pretend this is my phone. Wasting time when I could be hey, why don't you come with me? So-and-so's got practice. I'm going to be there an hour and a half. Let's just sit and chat. Deliberate. Intentional. To encourage. To provoke. To stir up. An older couple inviting a younger couple over for dinner. They will be appreciative. And asking them about their marriage. Or someone that's engaged, encouraging them towards their marriage. Maybe you work in the same building or close to another member of the church and you can meet regularly for lunch to encourage each other or to just simply pray for each other, just to ask how it's going, or maybe you want to do something more formal. Maybe it's a stay-at-home mom visiting with one of our shut-ins, taking your kids over once a month or once every other month just to encourage someone that can't even be here. Or orchestrating a play date with intention and purpose to encourage, stir up. Friends, you can be diverse in your approach. It, it doesn't have to look the same way. The whole point is just being de- deliberate and being, being aware of those around you to seek to encourage others in Jesus, to push them to Jesus. 
Be deliberate in your pursuit. Be diverse in your approach. Be driven by love. Be driven by love. Be driven by love. I don't think we'll, any of us will do this if this is not true. One of my favorite passages to go back to time and time again is a little, not obscure, but just a little verse kind of hidden in Galatians chapter 4. Verse 19, where Paul is he's been encouraging them. He's, he's kind of called them out on a few things, and he's encouraging them, and he's just showing his heart here. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, some of you who may have had babies recently say, so what does he know about childbirth? I think what you see is just the intensity that Paul has, the, the passion that he has. I am again, again, this is constant with him. I am again in the anguish of childbirth. I am languishing, I am anguished over you until Christ is formed in you. Do you feel that way towards other Christians in this church? Is that the kind of love that you have towards this body of believers that you desperately long to see Christ formed in these people God has placed you in. Because my prayer is that the Great Commission would be driven by love, by care. That we would be a Great Commission church, that we would be Great Commission Christians in this way. And that the Great Commission would not just be simply something that informs our commitment to the nations, though it does. That it would not just be something that simply informs our approach as a church congregation, kind of generally, though it does. My hope and prayer is that it also would trickle down into the very depths of our hearts and our lives, and that day-to-day -day relationships would be instructed and informed and transformed by these very words. Friends, our prayer is that Redeeming Grace Baptist Church would be increasing in this kind of love for each other. That we would be a community, that we would be a culture where it is the normal agenda of every Christian to make disciples. That's our prayer, that's our hope. It would be the normal agenda of every Christian to be pursuing other Christians with the goal of doing them good spiritually and inviting others to do the same for you. May God give us grace and strength to be just that kind of people for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have instructed us this morning. We thank you, God, that you have given us clear guide, a clear guide to how we're to pursue each other in Christ, how, to, how we're to love one another. Lord, one of the best ways that we can love each other is to push them more and more towards you. Father, would you help us to do that? Lord, I would pray even this morning that where we have been negligent, complacent in engaging others with a deliberate agenda where, where we have maybe forsaken this call to stir up stir each other up to encourage each other toward Jesus. God, that you would forgive us for that this morning. That you would convict us, Lord, where we have been um, just negligent in these things. 
Show us, Father, where we can be more faithful and more in tune with what you're doing by your Holy Spirit. God, would you help us to be a people who love one another well, a community of believers that are seeking to do each other spiritually good. Father, may you grow us in this way. Father, we thank you so much for what we have in Christ. We pray now that you would help us to continue on following after him and encouraging others to do the same. We pray this in his name. Amen.